You're fed up with a 9 to 5. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from a traditional career but don't know how? Business Breaks is here to help. Subscribe now and rate and review on your favourite podcast platform. Enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Business Breaks podcast. Today we have a returning guest who has earned quite the reputation in the digital transformation realm, David Ketchen, a man of many talents. He's not only your ordinary digital transformation leader, in fact he's been affectionately referred to as either a digital cat herder as well as a plumber specialising in unblocking that transformation friction. Most recently now, he's been referred to as a smartest or strategic artist, which I didn't even know was a thing until recently. David's career history is as multifaceted as it gets, from his early days cleaning windows, shout out to George Formby, to his remarkable journey as a digital transformation leader. He has seen it all with his unrivaled expertise in removing friction and unleashing the true potential of organizations it's no wonder that his previous episode on our show holds the record for the most downloads so get ready to dive into an insightful and engaging conversation with david he'll share his invaluable experience practical strategies and perhaps even a few witty anecdotes along the way So get your headphones on because this episode is bound to be another hit. David, welcome to Business Breaks. Thank you, Dan T. I've got a feeling that um, you put the wrong guess. I want to meet this guy as well now. (laughs) Oh, David, you make me laugh. Uh, Thank you. And yeah, maybe... You, you know, you thank me for the hype. I thought I'd try and uh, better that last one. So, uh, enjoying it. <laughs> so, uh, I guess if we start with the idea of yeah, digital transformation, I mean, r- just to recap from the previous episode, what are the primary objectives for a business looking to transform digitally? See, that it really depends on the size of the business and um, what their strategy is. And I often wonder when it comes to digital transformation uh, what a company's strategy really is. What are they hoping to, to gain from this? So a classic one in your part of the world was uh, Lloyd's, who their business transformation was peaked at, I can't remember if it was two or three billion pound. It was massive, absolutely massive. And um, you go, when are you going to throw that much money at it? Clearly you're wanting to change where you're playing in the marketplace. Uh, Because in the end... Um, and this is where I think some some companies don't really think it through and, and it's the traditional IT sales is fantastic I mean I'd spent 16 years with large uh, 
multinational companies. And that's what they were selling. You know, before it became a thing of digital transformation, really all they were saying was, let's take your mess and um, we'll fix that for you. One company I, I worked for was Electronic Data Systems and they had these fantastic ads, which is where you know the digital cat herder came from. Um, but one ad I liked, they, they had this aeroplane and it was being built in the sky and then the builders were sort of parachuting out at the end and they were trying to say, in a sense, this is what we do. And you go, actually, I don't know that that's a really good thing, but it was a a fantastic ad, right? Because really, do you want the plane built in the air or do you want the plane built on the ground first and thoroughly tested and then sent up in the air? Mm. I guess that's agile is very much building planes in the air and uh, hoping that whatever you come to is going to stay up there. So when you think about transformation, um, effectively what a business is, is it's an idea. Uh, it's a, Someone has come up with a concept that says, if we do this, we're going to achieve a certain outcome. And then in order to achieve the outcome, all they need is a bunch of processes and tools to enable them to do those processes. And you know, I'm sure when the Abacus came out, that was you know the technology of its day, and and people stopped scratching on walls, and you know they became really skilled at at using an abacus. Um, you know when the ledger was invented, that was a great tool, and it changed business. Um, and when it comes to digital transformation, you go, what am I really changing? Am I changing the process of how I do things? Am I trying to trim out the human element, which is where sort of, I think we're now moving from digital transformation to AI transformation, where it becomes a, well, Previously, I had people do this. Now I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have bots do this for me. But digital transformation used to be a case of going. I've got paper processes. I've got manual processes. How can I, how can I automate these, or in some way, remove the friction from what I'm, I'm currently doing? How do I get my customers through my system faster? And uh, certainly that's what it was when we were doing um, uh, transformation and communications. How do, you, how do you get your customer, what tools and technologies can you bring from, from the time they engage with you to actually getting them into your system and servicing them in a way that they're not going to ring you up and complain about the, the whole process. So when it comes to, that's uh, very long-winded, but... Um, what I'm trying to say is you're asking quite a hard question because I'm not sure a lot of companies actually themselves can really pin down what their digital transformation is for. Yeah. Is it strategic? Is it going to move them to a different place? Lloyd's wanted to become, um, you know, uh, and perhaps it was through... Um, 
would the bank be? Um, TSV? No. Uh, it does have that green background with a black horse. Uh, we had them and we had a bank in New Zealand. I think it was Bank of Scotland that used them. And uh, they came here and backed one of our banks for a while called National Bank. Anyway, the 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 transformation, the idea was to position them to get up in the pack. So they were sort of mid-range. They weren't happy with their ratings from customers. They weren't happy with their market share. So digital transformation, the whole goal was to shift that dial for them and move them to the front of the pack. People ask, why are the others ahead of you? Is it because they've got better tools? Is it because they've got better processes? Or is it just that customers think their logo looks better? It could be anything. It doesn't mean just swapping out one set of technologies, you know, replacing those is going to make you better. That's that pause there is not a pregnant pause. That's for you to say something. <laughs> uh, no problem. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember um, a guy from McKinsey actually giving a presentation back in 2018 regarding the Lloyd's transformation. By the way, it was three billion, three pounds yeah. strategic investment, um, fifty journeys transformed and greater than 70% of the cost base transformed. Um, and it was a strategic initiative. It was about finding insights, value, scale, and then cultural DNA, although that sounds very, um, shall we say, it's very consultancy. Um, and there were essentially the key theme running through the presentation from what I could remember was unlock value. And there were five key strategic uh, elements to the business strategy, data, machine learning, engineering, people and process, which seems like pretty much apart from the machine learning piece, which is obviously at that time back in 2018, that was the big thing coming up, albeit with AI, um, was to try and understand how they could, how they could get to the other side of, you know, impact you have um like a lot of it was based on making decisions based on data taking the right actions based on data uh retaining and exceeding customer experiences so it was all very abstract yeah yeah yeah. so because it's been a while since i've looked at um uh looked at their business case I, I do remember um you know four or five years ago um in fact it would be six now uh, having a pitch towards um or i was trying to get uh, a global company to have a pitch towards them in their uh, customer communication space which i understand they ran out of money for isn't that great so they this is typical isn't it so they yeah. they got new tools and rather than transforming the business, doing anything with it, it just became a, well, let's just lift the data we've got and stick it in the new tool. Lift and shift is always the way, yeah. 
So no process re-engineering at all. It's and just no progress. All you've done is create a, an enormous cost. Yeah. And um, and now you've got a, a mess to clean up later if there's a budget to do it. Now, if that happened in that particular part of their world, I wonder how much it happened in the rest of the digital transformation because the data I've got on digital transformations is very few are successful. Very few ever achieve their their aims. And that's been the case since um, I recall uh, in my part of the world, uh, one of the large banks, uh, Westpac, um, their CEO, I think it was at the time, this is about um, 2002, 2003, stood up and said, these things are a waste of time. We get promised everything, and nothing changes. And but that's the way. That's the way. Sometimes uh, certain bad players in the industry work. They make these big promises, and then eventually you end up being held to ransom with a sunk cost fallacy that you've already invested all this money in new technology. You haven't really looked at whether there's an alignment there because you haven't analysed your processes sort out the gaps and then come up with the solutions and then you're doing everything last minute and you're shoehorning things that don't necessarily fit. We've both lived this world, right? <laughs> yeah. We've been in the we've been in the gold mine together, trying to find yeah. the gold. Um and you're going, I'm doing a lot of digging here. Um we when when are we going to hit this scene? So but of course sales is is in a different league you know that they're, they're driving the story and it's a good story yeah. but it's in an ideal world and we spoke about friction at, at the start and i'm glad that's kind of a theme because it's it's something that i'm putting quite a bit of my own interest into of how that how physics applies to business and um Friction, of course, a salesperson comes along and says there is no friction. This is a shiny, shiny tool. It's so simple to just push it around and you'll just be able to get all your stuff loaded up. The, the learning curve is very small. So sales is always about um, reducing friction between the buyer's mind and um, often the buyer, you know, decision maker doesn't really know, so they'll bring in developers or the, um, you know, the IT support. Well, IT, if you show them a new tool, of course they'll want to buy it. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's new. Oh, oh, I need to get that on my CV. At least that's been behaviours I've noticed in large IT companies that. It doesn't. There have been some really excellent people who have have pushed back against sales and really quizzed them hard and um, got to their information. But there's a number of people within within organisations who go, "Oh, I should learn that," and here's an opportunity. If we install that, I'm going to learn that. So that's going to create some problems later on. Um, and it's not for me to say. 
you know, that Lloyd's were wrong in deciding to do a digital transformation. I just bring it up as as a case that I've, I'm aware of that they threw a lot of money at it. And I don't know that their market position has really changed since they, they did that. So, I mean, fantastic if it has, but the last I, I had looked, it, it, they weren't even talking about their digital transformation anymore. So you mentioned, you know, people and process. So really, and that's what I was trying to say at the beginning. If you look at a business, it says, we're going to play in this space and that's how we're going to win. That's your strategy. It says, you know, so it could be, could be business breaks as a podcast. I'm going to talk about these things in, in my niche and attract an audience that way. And I'll bring in different guests on, on topics and that's what I'm going to do. But I imagine, like every business, you, you yourself, if you were to look at your digital transformation path, you'll go, oh, oh, what's, what tools am I going to use? This is the microphone I've got at the moment. Oh, it's, it's a webcam. That's, that's going to be okay for the first couple of episodes, but then I want a new mic. And then you start researching. Oh, I've got to get a new mic. Oh, what, what software am I going to use to, um, for my digital audio workflow? Oh, I need to upgrade. Actually, I, I really need to upgrade my PC as well because that, that software, that's pretty chunky stuff. And then you go, am I adding, adding video in? Oh, and now I need a, a video software as well. And, and do I need, you know, some soundproofing? And what are my lights like? And you haven't even started to get your first podcast done. This, this happens to everyone. We get so caught up in the, the tools and the technology, and this is what's going to make us good. Instead of just getting on and do it. And when Microsoft started, good old Bill Gates, right? Good. And he is old now. I don't know how good he is, but he's certainly old. So he brought out, um, what was it? MS-DOS. Uh, or was QDOS was the first one. Quick and dirty operating system. Quick and dirty. You know, and a lot of their stuff, uh, Microsoft stuff to begin with, was a bit dirty in the sense that it, it needed a bit of refining. But he got to market. He got out to market and things got better later. Um, Steve Jobs had a completely different um, uh, view of it. He wanted it perfect before he'd release it. You know, I don't know if it was true, but I saw that movie about Steve, and there he was measuring the mm. the millimeter size of whatever box it was. You know, and it had to be perfect um, to release it. That was a different strategy, but I I think with you know we're all impacted. From small scale to large scale, as humans, we all think the same process. What do I need in order to get this job done? And often we, we over-spec things. We, we over-spec it all the time. Digital transformation is a massive over-spec. Because if you went to your business and went, we look at the people and the process, what's hindering them from doing their job? What's Is it the tools? Or... Is it the fact that we haven't trained any of their leaders since we brought them on and just expected the leaders to, because they said leader on their CV, they were going to be a good leader? Mm. You know, what, what training are we putting our leaders through every 
uh, six months to ensure that you know they're skilled and they're matching the needs of my people. Um, I, I remember uh, um, being on a digital transformation project and being offered some software. They were going to update my, my software. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, how much will that cost? Uh, that'll cost you a million dollars, David. So uh, this is um, turn of century stuff, right? So we'll probably have to allow for inflation and there'll be 10 mil now, right? That was a mil back then. And I'm like, and how much productivity will that give me? Uh, well, it could give you 20%. Can you guarantee it will give me 20%? Mm, maybe it's 15%. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and you're like, you, you don't know, do you? And they go, well, we know it's... And you go, show me the model. Show me the model where you've simulated it. They couldn't. Mm. I knew that if I got my leaders to genuinely go up to their staff at the end of the day and say, hey, Dente, thanks for coming today. What you did was great. Now, if you'd done a crap job, they'd just say, oh, thanks for coming today. <laughs> they wouldn't say you did a good job. Yeah, now, it, it's some culture change gave me 20% growth and I paid nothing for it. Mm. Now, so when we talk about digital transformation, the goal we should have with transformation, and too often where the the um, goal is to pay for this transformation, I'm going to have to drop X percent of my staff. I mean that happens all the time. Government job, governments get sold um, big projects, and they're told this will shave. 20% of your staff off, well, normally it's 10%, right? Because that's a given. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it will shape staff. That's We're automating things. We're reducing process. We're reducing friction. You, you'll pay for this because you won't have those staff. Um, that's not always true, though, is it? No. Sometimes it is. But often it takes a big, once that, that software's gone in, you've still got a huge amount of work to do to bed it in and make it part of day-to-day living. Sometimes you've even got to ramp up staff to now cope with the new um, knowledge that you've you've got to learn. Mm-hmm. So I'm while I like digital transformation, what I really like is when people start thinking about what are we trying to unstick? So if, if you take friction, we know that friction um, is t- uh, two irregular surfaces rubbing against each other. Yeah. So the smoother the surface, the less uh, friction there is, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and machine learning should actually be finding where the friction point is. I mean, that's the whole point of data, in, in my view. So it's not the whole point of data, but a value that comes from data is understanding where things go wrong. And to me, if you want to transform a business, 
you're trying to make things go right more often. Uh, I mean, that's why Six Sigma was uh, invented yep. to try and reduce defects, right? I don't agree with the way that Six Sigma is done, but the idea behind it is correct. So if you're trying to, with a, any transformation program, you're going, where are the ir irregularities? But you don't always want to remove all the friction points. No, so, they're there for a reason. Sorry. That's Yeah, yeah. So, you know, do you want customers, you want them to be sticky, don't you? Mm. So you don't want them to just slide through the process. I've got to the cart. Um, oh, um, I just ordered some um, some uh, glasses online, as in eyeglasses. Went to a US site because they're not paying me an affiliate link. I won't mention their name. If they were paying me that, I would. But <laughs> anyway, they're immediately having um, purchased the glasses, they aim to keep it sticky. So I've had an email every day for the last four days. And each one gives me a better offer to come back. You know, here's another discount you can apply. Here's another discount. Um, now, it's, it could be viewed as spam, but really what they're trying to do is create some friction between me and them. Mm. So that when I go to think about buying another pair of um, spectacles, mm. I'll think of them first and I won't go to the other um, opposition. So um, strategic-wise, you, your digital transformation has to be thinking, I'm re removing some friction internally in my business so the processes can be done um, easier. I want it to be seamless for my customer, but I don't want it to be so seamless that they run away before I've got my hooks in them. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, friction's there in some cases for a reason. You need to have checks and balances. You need to have resistance to something that could be um, you know, you've got this idea of having it all seamless, but then if there's a virus running through your system, you want to be able to block it off at some point um, sooner rather than later. Um, and and that, I guess, any force, any outside force will create this um, tension, this stress, and in response to the stress, the organization as an organism will change is that resistance to the change internally that may be when you're trying to impose a strategy or a new way of working, a new a new operating model on the business, then that that that's when certain people maybe have different and it comes back to not just process, it's people. People will have slightly misaligned objectives. And this is where generally I find the friction coming in as well. Um, different levels of understanding, different levels of talent, different perspectives on what is the correct thing to do based on where they are, different positions, whether you're in corporate and you're imposing a, 
a federated model versus whether you're locally based and you want to have a bit more autonomy so you can achieve those objectives a little bit more easier with a little bit more leeway. So I guess it's really understanding those friction points and having a plan to actually get some agreement both as a transformation team as well as as a organization holistically to try and come to what may be when you're negotiating it may be just um yeah it may not be always a win-win maybe a win-lose but some sort of common understanding in specific instances where there's where there is resistance at the same time you don't want to be just running roughshod over everyone um, just because you can and just imposing technologies that may not be the best thing for that part of the business and again strategies change what you find as well with leaders is that um, it's funny you should mention the the couple of connects at the leadership level on the Lloyd's transformation have since left Lloyd's long time ago. Um, but when you bring in replacements, assuming they have been replaced, what tends to happen is that new leader will have a new idea and a new, new strategy, a new way of making their mark because they want to, they want to create impact, right? That's the big thing with transformation is, how do you turn all those insights that you're hoping to get with the data into some form of business impact, whether that's improved profit- profitability uh, alongside either reducing your costs or improving your market share or even just um, improving that customer experience, right? And moving your um, your uh, net promoter score uh, up by a few points that may make the difference between you know um, uh, business growth or business decline right so so all businesses will decline over time because that's the second law of thermodynamics of uh, entropy that everything becomes chaos over time the more complicated a system becomes the more um, it dissolves in, into chaos unless you introduce new life into it or new structure yeah and uh, that's why you know businesses that become um, um, you know fall back on best practice they go oh this is the way that we do things here or they're full of yes people and everyone's too scared to say anything to the the manager because um you know, they, they don't want to get fired. Well, all that's doing is reducing the heat out of the organization and cooling it down. So we've seen this happen so many times with with companies that were great and they reach a zenith. And because uh, they, don't, they don't introduce a, a new product, you know, the ma- market falls out of love with companies. Everything becomes stale after time. Um, this happens with entertainers as well. It's only people like um, David Bowie who really um, worked out he had to keep reinventing himself in order to get a new audi- new audience. Mm. Um, but if he was to stay the same, then they drift away. It's just that's how human behavior and, and the universe works. 
when it comes to transformation, and I think you touched on an interesting point about getting people to change because in friction, um, there is uh, static friction and static friction is what holds us in place. And we're quite grateful for that so we don't float around and bang into things. You know, it's, it's very important uh, for physics. You don't want to put your coffee cup on your desk and it slide off. You know, we want static friction. There's two forces that work with static friction. Gravitational force, so that's, what's that, 9.8 metres per second heading down. And uh, contact forces. So a contact force is um, when you put your hand on your desk, um, there, there is an um, electrical connection made between the atoms in your hand and the atoms on that desk. And they actually join together. There's a little bit of pull that, that it creates. Now, to, to break static friction, and this is why so many people do nothing in their lives, um, because the the uh, thought of actually doing something, they, they, they don't have the leverage to actually get going. Once they get going, this is the weird thing, once people get going, they keep going. But that's the rule of inertia, right? That's just how the universe works. It says once you inertia holds you in place, but once you're moving, inertia holds you on your direction as well. It will take another force to, to push you in another direction. So I think when you understand those universal forces and go, can there be static friction? Is there a greater force holding people in place? It's certainly not kinetic friction because they're not moving anywhere. They're doing the same process day in, day out. And they're using the same tools day in, day out. And you come along and say, I've got a new tool. And that, and we go, well, they're resistant to change. Well, no, there's just the force that's holding them in place is greater than what you've come to offer them. You, mm. You're not offering them something at this stage that they're going to accept. Now, this is why early adopters are so important. Um, and we're back to cultural problems, not... Well, or cultural solutions rather than technical. So when you when you've got um, early adopters or um, key advocates, champions, sometimes we used to call them in the ISO days. You got your ISO nine thousand champion, mm. and they're just someone who who evangelizes that and says this is really good and we should do it. And they create a little bit of heat because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for people who have got some heat in them for the change. Mm -hmm. Now, the more of those people you can get together, eventually you'll create critical mass. And you don't need to convert everyone to the change. You only need enough people to believe in the transformation. They go, yes, this is going to work. And then you get, if you think of a bell curve, and uh, we'll say on the right-hand side that, that you know, that small 3% percentage in the tail of the bell curve, that's our early adopters. And then behind them, um, in that section of the bell curves are those who are, are interested. And then we've got our not interested. And then at the end, I've got no way in hell. <laughs> you know, that's George in the basement who's got some 
reason why he wants to stay with the old system. He might have a financial stake. He might be getting kickbacks from the supplier. We don't know. But he's he does not want to change forever. Right? So all we need to do is move some of those interested people to the right to become early adopters. And they will, by gravity, drag their peers one step to the right as well. So our bell curve actually starts leaning more and more to the right with the people we've we've got interested in it. Now, that requires um, strong change management strategy. And often HR, they're not the people to be doing this. They used to. They're not the people anymore. Um, when when rolling out a, a change through an organization, um, if you haven't got your people behind that change, they're still going to be stuck in static friction. doesn't matter what technology you adapt and stick in there, they're going to sabotage it. Not intentionally, but just from a lack of interest. Mm. Um, and I always think people and process, unless you replace your business completely with AI, Unless you're looking at your people and your process, any transformation that you aim to do is not going to achieve the result you want if you can't get those people on board, if you can't create enough force for them to break free from that suction of static friction and get moving. Once they're moving, you don't need to put as much effort into them. And we see this in digital transformation all the time. The front end is loaded with money and resources. Because, you know, if we throw everything at the front, we'll get it, you know, we'll light the fire and we'll get it going. Mm. But um, honestly, that's not, <laughs> it's not the way to do it. Um, we want to build our wins. And sometimes that slower start, not the, the big full rush. Mm. It's like, let's prove this part works first. And then let's celebrate that together and build some enthusiasm for the next bit we're going to do. And because then I'm creating critical mass with people to go, hey, this is working. This is changing things. At least that's been my experience. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I think when people are asked to change, there could be... As you say, there's a number of possible ranges of reactions. There'll be people who are on board. They buy into this, shall we say, a new paradigm. Because the evangelists, if they're any good, they'll be convincing, right? There'll be people who are probably a little bit more skeptical, but are willing to give it a try because they know they need to do something to improve. And then there's people who who don't understand the change who can't uh, who can't see how it benefits them because they need a why right to get that buy-in to get that buy-in they obviously need to think well i'm going to put in all this effort extra effort a lot of the time what am i going to get out of it and and that's pragmatic right and then there's the people as you say the ones who probably will actually actively lose out 
Um, and for them, it's an existential threat, whether they're out of pocket or even out of a job, which is, again, translates to pretty much the same thing. But it becomes an existential threat where, you know, this new technology is replacing what I was doing manually. Therefore, I become a redundant commodity and I'm going to fight it tooth and nail which is okay if they're in the minority for the person who's leading the transformation. Although there's, I guess, moral implications, but um, that is life. But again, if you're just, the evangelist has to have a very clear vision that will actually, they can see a path to true impact. That's positive impact for the business. Otherwise they're just setting forest fires and they're just, it's just like a scorched earth strategy where they're imposing change for the sake of it, but it actually damages the business. And then they're probably not held to account for it, at least on a career side, because before it actually all goes pear-shaped, they've already relocated to a new job to repeat the That's cycle. how it works. But that's I'm, the game, isn't it? That's the game. It, right? Yeah, that's yeah, the game. Destruction all over and you pay a premium. And it becomes a really nice case study until you really see what's happened to the business. Because let's face it, that hockey stick is a big con, in my opinion, is that it's saying that by the time, long before we've left, you'll see a decline in business, but it'll be an uptick. But by the way, that uptick is down to you guys. You need to execute the uptick. We've just we've just shaved out huge amounts of resources, cut, cut people, imposed a new tool and you're going to have to figure out how to make it work and that is why i i understand you know though i haven't seen an updated stat but it used to be 95 percent was what cio world had had rated as the number of business transformations that fail 95 percent so can it be that the reason is is that we're failing to see that just changing our technology is not enough. It's got to be, if we if we look back at our strategy and say, where are we playing? And go, is our business actually aligned to our strategy? Let's just, th- these are basic things. Um, if, if we're going to do a migration of, of data or a process don't we want to clear out all the old processes that that don't work first and go you know what's what's not working well let's let's just fix all this first but there seems to be a belief that digital transformation is like some magic pill a panacea i'm going to apply this and it's going to fix my business everything will be smoother well, sometimes that's, that's true, but depending on the scale. Of course, the larger the enterprise, we have to understand the second law of thermodynamics applies universally around the world. If I've got a box of Lego and I shake it up, it doesn't suddenly form a house. It doesn't matter if someone comes along and shows me a plan and says, here's a plan of, you know, a TIE fighter from Star Wars. And uh, here's all the bits of Lego. Now you shake your box and, you know, it, it will work. 
You know, it's like, get out of here. If 95% of digital transformations were failing, then maybe we've got to think about what is it that we are trying to transform and is it sticking to strategy? And what are the reasons why, you know, if we're a complicated business, we should expect that this is going to create more entropy, the more change we introduce into our environment. Um, are we actually going to fix this? Are we going to make it better? Or is it that we, we need to simplify what we're doing? Maybe we need to strip things out um, in order to um, decomplicate our business before we worry about our technology. I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't have the new technology and some of the, the AI tools coming through are um, frighteningly frighteningly. They're scary, but that 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 what they can do, well, you know, we 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 don't even know yet. You know, in two years, we've got no idea what the landscape of business is um, is going to be like. So I think we're coming to the AI transformation now. Digital transformation will be very very different um, soon. Dante, it's it's not going to be. It's not going to be the old way at all. And some of these um, large service integrating companies better be learning how to pivot to um, using AI to solve problems uh, rather than their traditional uh, tool set. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's proven out with ChatGPT that what can be achieved something that you know now actually looks like real like what i would class as ai a real um shall we say a digital impersonation of a real human thinking or human thought uh in creating yeah content even if it's written text tables you know prompts for image generation it is quite can be quite overwhelming if you get caught up in it but uh, at the same time it's just another tool and the lazy evangelist will say you just got to do ai and you think well why and they say uh, you just got to do ai because it's really it's taking over businesses maybe you can do marketing you can create really great content really cheaply no you can't you still need to have skills and it's a new set of skills right and again, you need to have a strategy. How does it add value? If you're not in media, what's it going to do for your business? Say you're manufacturing widgets. That's a physical product. It's not going to benefit much from the having uh, generated images. Maybe, maybe you'll be able to produce uh, instruction manuals quicker, but you'll still need to fix them because there needs to be that element of human customization, someone to check it on data. And it comes back to data, right? Actions, unless you've got cameras everywhere and sensors actually collecting data that the AI can actually analyze and say, okay, I understand this widget. Here are the dimensions. Here are the applications. Here are the use cases. Um, you know, It's still not at a state where it can take over everything, right? There'll still be jobs that will need human. Oh yeah, I don't want to go down that that path on this particular 
discussion. I, I do think that you know where where AI, um, yeah. If, if we're thinking about people and processes, that's what yeah. makes up a business, right? People and processes. And robotics was a way of um, you know how can I introduce macros to um, as an RMA was how do I introduce macros to reduce a common processes. And yeah, manual data entry. That's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So that was yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we used that way back in two thousand on a project. Back then, it was um, the macros were called Quick Keys, and they were great fun to program. And uh, you know, they they didn't really save that much time. So, on a fifteen minute job, you might save um, five minutes, and it added up over time. But it it wasn't a complete panacea. So now. Though you're looking at, can I can I get business anal- analysis done through AI? Well, yes, I can. So, will I need as many business analysts or financial analysts? Um, well, that would depend on how how well I trust the the data I'm getting back from from AI. But in the end, you're looking at you're going. Um, what are the processes? What are the repeatable processes? that um, if I'm going to transform them, and again, it comes back to what are you trying to transform? And ideally, you should be going, I want to improve my customer experience. I want to give my customer better things. This is the whole point of digital transformation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's it's cost-saving, right? I want to introduce this technology so I can, instead of having seven uh, different types of, of this technology around the world, I'm just going to go to a single platform. That's that's what I want. Or I don't want to have this in-house anymore. I just want to I just want to be in the cloud. So often that's how do I simplify things? How do I reduce my operating costs? But none of that matters if we're not improving our market share and getting more customers. If your digital transformation cannot come back and say, I have... I have created a system that reduces static friction for my customers, so it's so much easier for them. They don't have to use as much force to come and engage with me. And when they do engage with me, we move them through the process in a way that's sticky where we need it to be Mm. and smooth where they want it to be. Well, then we've achieved it. And until I start seeing companies pointing that out on the customer journey saying, great, this is when we introduce this, this is taking measures here. Let's run the pilot with this. We'll do some parallel processing. Let's prove that we remove that, that stickiness or we introduce it where you want. That's what I'd like to see. But too often it is, as you say, they sell it and they say it's over to you now yeah yeah and that's where the skepticism comes in with digital transformation is that people have seen it all before uh promises made that aren't fulfilled and what you're left with is actually all that resource that was invested into changing the business or launching something new could have been invested in a few more people 
and actually would have had a bigger impact on the business than all this new technology, which has created more of a mess. <laughs> Common sense is a tough thing, isn't it? Oh, it's it's so difficult. It's so difficult. Uh, but and and also we all we all know why we're in the game. We we're here to get paid, and um, we're here to hopefully make an impact as well. But um, when people are looking at CVs, they're looking at new technologies, which again are driven by very slick marketing very slick marketing initiatives that actually say this is a brilliant tool but is that brilliant tool the best tool for you as a business or should it be something else that works with what you've already got and actually oh i think we're probably running out of time what i really wanted to cover was overcoming the friction in that digital transformation because one of my biggest and you did touch upon it. One of my biggest bugbears, which almost broke my career, was trying to replace a legacy system. And legacy systems are there for a reason. Yes, it's all. And in my case, it was COBOL, a whole platform built on COBOL, which had all the bells and whistles, including 20-year-old branches that no longer existed for like over a decade. And yet, whenever things failed it was like it and the technology people would actually club together and they would say well it's not our fault your business business requirements oh, were right and i thought yeah they didn't define these these x number of technical parameters and i i would say but their business requirements you're the guys who were supposed to say how it's supposed to be sold well your brd wasn't correct you know and it wasn't detailed enough it wasn't technically detailed enough. And yeah, then you get into the whole hoopla on politics, right? Um, I'm in IT now and I don't, I like to think I don't act that way. I'm, you know, transparency is an important thing when you're trying to, if things do go wrong in testing, you tend to put your hand up, you say, well, here's, here's what went wrong. We've put a manual workaround for this, this cycle. And we are we have a plan now in place to make it right, you know. But then that that also comes down to having a very strong team, having very, shall we say, modern architecture, and being able to turn things around. And again, continuous integration, continuous development over a traditional deployment lifecycle that takes four months, you know, four months of the year to actually deploy because you've got that classic again agile gets bashed a lot uh i guess rightly so because it's it's a tool that's been misapplied uh it's it was in a time where as you said bill gates he he was probably a pioneer where he said let's release an imperfect product and fix it whilst it's in flight with the market where the customer tells you what's wrong with it and you fix it based on that customer. Yeah. But you can't do that anymore because you lose credibility, you lose trust when you launch a software, and then it turns out to be completely buggy in certain instances where people were trying to do something that's outside of whatever limited testing was done, like, say, revert, revert an error, a human error in an instruction, 
and it doesn't revert or something like that. It wasn't properly tested for whatever reason. But um, again... So here's the thing. If, if, uh, so to re reduce friction in, in any environment, um, now you can... If you've got two surfaces rubbing against each other, mm. um, you've got two rusty blocks... Right, two rusty blocks of, of metal and, and you rub them together, you, you'll feel that friction really strong um, because they're, you know, they're pitted and rough. Now, you can, you can do two things. You can polish, get out the grinder, and you can polish each of those surfaces. And if, if you keep polishing them, eventually you, you'll actually remove static friction they'll just slide against each other really nice. Mm -hmm. Or you introduce oil. Yeah. And you've it. got a lubricant, right? So mm. now if you think of what the, the lubricant that we have to introduce, because effectively what you're trying to do in your transformation is produce quality. You're trying to produce a higher quality outcome. Mm. Because when when... If they come back and say this is no good, then that's rework. And so you've lost your quality. All you've got is rusty blocks again. You're, you're oxidized within the system. So to lubricate the system, yeah. um, you need a universal language that everyone can speak and understand. And... I mean, this is why service design was invented, to try and create a universal language across uh, disciplines for business. Um, or you've got a leader who actually knows and understands human behavior and goes and talks with everyone to expound the vision, ensure the vision is, is bought into, and at least we've got you know, a picture of what's going to happen now. And then we start asking them, what do you need in order to complete your vision? Communication is the lifeblood. It's the absolute pure oil that works between every process. If, if I go to an organization and they're having problems, I just look and see where is the communication breaking down? I don't care about their processes. I don't care about their customers. I'm just interested in how are they communicating. Because if you fix the communication, everything else will fall into place. Why do customers complain? Well, the, you know, the process was, was no good. How do you fix a customer who's complaining? You communicate with them. You listen to them. You understand. You then address what their concern is. They go away and they're happy. Mm. You know, they weren't happy to begin with, but it's communication that fixes it. So the friction, to reduce friction in any transformation, will depend on the quality of those in charge of the communication. Mm. And, you know, that's the best investment any company can make um, in its leaders and its subject matter experts Teach them how to communicate. Forget about all their other skills. If they can't communicate, they will always create friction for you. 
<laughs> yeah. And actually that you see that a lot in organizations where there's a very, shall we say, authoritarian leader who, who doesn't care about how they come across when they're say when things go wrong, it's like, oh, it's your fault. Well, that just creates more friction, doesn't it? <laughs> exactly. That's the worst. You know, and and that 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 perfect phrase rubs people up the wrong way. <laughs> Again, rubbing friction, and as you say, I don't know if the friction actually gets better over time. When it's you know you rub people up against each other often enough, does that eventually smooth by necessity, or does it just break the parts completely? You know, like in a car where you don't have brake pads. And you're just pushing against, you know, the lever against the the axle, and it shouldn't. It should be a brake pad that's um, that's because again, coming back to that analogy on friction, cars as a business, they need brakes. They need to be able to slow down when it's necessary, um, because you can't just go gung ho all the time. But um, yeah, you need to have the right level of friction, and it has to be a certain friction that doesn't damage the underlying parts the connected parts on those points friction's okay to an extent in certain instances but it has to be the right friction and it has to be there for a reason that's right Uh, trying to make everything um i think you touched on this before if you try and make everything seamless that's a mistake yeah um trying to remove all friction from an environment is a mistake um we need it it's part of our existence and um you know as as for rubbing people up you know against each other for a long time it depends on the person doesn't it some develop mutual respect mm. and they're like you know they're professional enough to go yeah well i don't agree but you know the bits that they do get done i really appreciate that and other people it, it's toxic and and you've got to yeah. you've got to hit the eject button and, and get out of there so I think that's that's a case by case situation. In any case, it's the communication. Mm. You know, as long as two people are communicating, um, mm. they've got more of a chance, even if they've got different ways of doing something. Yep. That's my ten cents for today, anyway. And on that ten cents, David, I think we'd say. It's a wrap. Um, we've we've hit the hour, and it's been, as always, a very insightful conversation. Um, so I would like to thank my esteemed guest, David Kitchen. Um, I will leave his contact details in the show notes if you want to reach out. Um, this isn't the this isn't everything he knows. He knows a lot about everything, and if you want to follow him. He also does amazing YouTube videos about his pastel art as well. So I'll leave that link in the show notes as well. Um, I'll also be leaving a a survey form if you want to provide feedback or if you have any follow-up questions for David. Uh, Please do like and subscribe if you found value in this discussion. As always, uh, this is Business Breaks and you've been listening to myself, Dante Healy with special guest David Kitchen. David, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Dante. Business Breaks, all things business podcast with Dante Haley and John Byrne.